step right up and gather around. Tall folks, kindly at the back, please. I am Professor Gruntsplatter, and I'm the curator of this here spookatorium. Through these doors are wonders and horrors, maybe even a laugh or two. From the dark corners on every street today, all back through recorded time. You'll hear music and tales of the unknown, mysterious, and perhaps even diabolical. That's right, folks. There are strange things beyond this threshold. But if you weren't curious, you wouldn't be here. So, will you take a chance and come on in? Or will you saddle up to the concession stand and always wonder what you may have missed? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Professor Gruntsplatter's Spookatorium. There will be no refunds once you enter. Thank you for your attention, and the brave ones, come with me.
Welcome, my pretties, to the fourth Halloween episode in the Fractured Life of the Spookatorium. I'm your host, Professor Grunsplatter. For the Inquisitive, the previous Halloween episodes were 7, 17, and 26, and all are available in the archives on the site. Uh, there's some good things in this episode, and uh, it's that glorious time of the year again. Savor it, and I hope you enjoy the show. Since the last episode, I posted a piece regarding an exorcism via the Buddhist rite of Takigyo that left a 13-year-old girl dead, and uh, also a clip of the 1907 French film La Cachon Danseur of a Creepy Dancing Pig. Uh, you can check those out at spookatorium.org. Uh, the, show, the show is now available on iTunes. Uh, a link for that appears on the site, and if you feel so inclined, a rating or a comment would be most appreciated. I wanted to extend my thanks to those of you that uh, listened to the show the last time or maybe coming back uh, after the long hiatus. It's also been nice to see that some of you are checking out the earlier episodes. Uh, as always, any feedback you have, good or bad, I'd love to hear. You can leave a comment on the site, catch me on Twitter at Spookatorium, or email uh, spookatorium at gmail.com. Uh, the show opened this week with Something Wicked This Way Comes from Susie and the Banshees, and that was the B-side to the Killing Jar single uh, released in 88. 1988, and you can also get that track on the Downside Up box set uh, that contains all of her B-sides. Almost blind. 
that set was Cemetery Polka from the Tom Waits classic album Rain Dogs. Uh, there's a series of shows going on in Europe right now called Rain Dogs Revisited, uh, celebrating this record of which uh, Spookatorium favorites, the Tiger Lilies, are taking part in. Uh, if anyone over there has a chance to see that, uh, I'm sure it's outstanding. Uh, following that uh, was Jill Tracy with Evil Night Together. We find ourselves in the Spookatorium Portraiture Gallery, home to all manner of askew personality and the eccentric characters of history. Listen close as we delve into their stories.
The story comes via the New York Times. Marinus Dijkstra was born in 1920 in the Netherlands, and at the age of five, it said he made his first clairvoyant prediction by stating a woman believed to be infertile had a baby in her tummy. Uh, people thought that the little boy was making fun of the woman's situation, but nine months later, she in fact gave birth. Uh, he as he aged, grew his reputation by finding buried bodies and treasure left behind following both World War I and World War II. And those successes led to inquiries from police for assistance on their cold cases. Uh, he did that for a while, uh, for little more than food and, and lodging. And in a refreshing twist, he actually requested that the police keep his name out of it until he'd moved on to the next town. Uh, he traveled abroad, and eventually he settled in the Bronx in the early 70s. But in addition to all of this, Dykeshorn is credited with an ability that touched people more directly. He's also said to have had the ability, the ability to cure terminal ailments, um, something that he'd asked his clients to keep quiet. Uh, he died in an apartment fire in September of this year, and mourners at his funeral began to reveal their secrets, uh, the most dramatic uh, was a woman who'd been given 10 years to live due to a brain tumor, and she claims that Dykstrin cured her of the tumor, and it was now 35 years later, and there had been no sign of it returning. Um, I like to have two or three sources on these stories, and I looked for more information on Dykstrin, but I couldn't really find, I could only really find variations of this story that the Times ran, basically as an obituary piece. Um, he did publish an autobiography in 1974, uh, shortly after coming to the to the U.S. Uh, that was titled My Passport Says Clairvoyant, uh, which was a reference to the Dutch government allowing him to include that title on his passport. Um, but aside from that, I couldn't find uh, any corroborating evidence uh, or, or background on him. Marinus was buried uh, with a piece of piano wire he used as a divining rod in a small ceremony. <laughs>
The last track you heard was The Witch's Ladder from Shinjuku Thief. Uh, before that was the Phantomas take on the Omen theme. And opening the set was the title track from the 1986 album The Dark uh, from Metal Church. And that one sounded a little crummy because it was ripped from a, a cassette that I bought back when the record came out. Um, so, sorry about that. But uh, if that answers any questions about whether I actually own all of this stuff that I play, I, I do, in fact. Um, so, Metal Church, The Dark, Phantomas with The Omen, and Shinjuku Thief with The Witch's Ladder. Now for a quick look at some of the publishing news going on in the small press. Uh, Prime Books has a new anthology due out in late November called New Cthulhu, The Recent Weird, uh, edited by Paula Garan. Uh, the table of contents features such notable names as Neil Gaiman, Caitlin Kiernan, Laird Barron, Don Webb, uh, Sherry Priest, and a mess of others. Uh, the publisher describes it as, in the first decade of the 21st century, the best supernatural writers no longer imitate Lovecraft, but they are profoundly influenced by the genre and the mythos he created. New Cthulhu the Recent Weird presents some of the best of this new Lovecraftian fiction, bizarre, subtle, atmospheric, metaphysical, psychological, filled with strange creatures and stranger characters, eldritch, unsettling, evocative, and darkly appealing. Uh, also recently released from Prime is Creatures, 30 Years of Monsters, edited by John Langan and Paul Tremblay. Uh, the collection includes Clive Barker, Joe Lansdale, Jeff Vandermeer, Michael Kelly, Gemma Files, to name only a few. Uh, for more information on those and other Prime titles, have a look at www.prime-books.com. Miskatonic Books is a recent spin-off of Bloodletting Press and the Horror Mall from Larry Roberts. Uh, Larry had taken the weird tales and supernatural side of what uh, the Horror Mall carried and opened up a new storefront at miskatonicbooks.com. Uh, Bloodletting Press imprints Arcane Wisdom and Infernal House have been active as well with recent releases. Uh, the Light is the Darkness, a new novella from Laird Barron, and uh, Cthulhu Cult, a novel of Obsession by Rick Dakin. Uh, Burning Effigy Press has a couple of recent chat book releases of note. The Black-Eyed Kids from Ian Rogers, uh, which is his third window into uh, the life of supernatural investigator Felix Wren. Um, and then Michael Lewis Cavello offers up a chat book called Seven Brains, where Saving Humanity is on the menu. Uh, you can check those out at burningeffigy.com and that is a quick look around the small press for this episode. Stop their singing The wind covering the trees Scream 
tries to be heard the damned with dr jekyll and mr hyde from the black album and they're actually doing a small tour right now where they are playing the entire black album uh, straight through as well as damn damn damned and uh, if you can see them on that i'm unfortunately going to miss it um do it because it will probably be amazing uh before that was the church with the disillusionist and that's off their album priest equals aura and now, uh, in honor of Halloween, a little bonus story. Uh, this is my own bad self reading uh, John Mortensen's Funeral by Ambrose Bierce. John Mortensen's Funeral by Ambrose Bierce. John Mortensen was dead. His lines in the tragedy, man, had all been spoken, and he had left the stage. 
The body rested in a fine mahogany coffin fitted with a plate of glass. All arrangements for the funeral had been so well attended to that had the deceased known, he would doubtless have approved. The face, as it showed under the glass, was not disagreeable to look upon. It bore a faint smile, and as the death had been painless, had not been distorted beyond the repairing power of the undertaker. At two o'clock of the afternoon the friends were to assemble to pay their last tribute of respect to one who had no further need of friends and respect. The surviving members of the family came severally every few minutes to the casket and wept above the placid features beneath the glass. This did them no good. It did no good to John Mortensen, but in the presence of death reason and philosophy are silent. As the hour of two approached, the friends began to arrive, and after offering such consolation to the stricken relatives as the proprieties of the occasion required, they solemnly seated themselves about the room with an augmented consciousness of their importance in the scheme funeral. Then the minister came, and in that overshadowing presence, the lesser lights went into eclipse. His entrance was followed by that of the widow, whose lamentations filled the room. She approached the casket and after leaning her face against the cold glass for a moment was gently led to a seat near her daughter. Mournfully and low, the man of God began his eulogy of the dead, and his doleful voice mingled with the sobbing which it was its purpose to stimulate and sustain, rose and fell, seemed to come and go like the sound of a sullen sea. The gloomy day grew darker as he spoke. A curtain of cloud underspread the sky and a few drops of rain fell audibly. It seemed as if all of nature were weeping for John Mortensen. When the minister had finished his eulogy with a prayer, a hymn was sung, and the pallbearers took their places beside the bier. As the last notes of the hymn died away, the widow ran to the coffin, cast herself upon it, and sobbed hysterically. Gradually, however, she yielded to dissuasion, becoming more composed, and as the minister was in the act of leading her away, her eyes sought the face of the dead beneath the glass. She threw up her arms, and with a shriek fell backwards insensibly. The mourners sprang forward to the coffin. The friends followed, and as the clock on the mantel solemnly struck three, all were staring down upon the face of John Mortensen, deceased. They turned away, sick and faint. One man, trying in his terror to escape the awful sight, stumbled against the coffin so heavily as to knock away one of its frail supports. The coffin fell to the floor, the glass was shattered to bits by the concussion. From the opening crawled John Mortensen's cat, which lazily leapt to the floor, sat up, tranquilly wiped its crimson muzzle with a forepaw, and then walked with dignity from the room.
was the cramps with i was a teenage werewolf before that was the old house on the hill from carpathian forest and opening the set was corridor from atrium carceri uh, as i mentioned in the last uh, episode this new incarnation of the show i hope to have at least one guest author and that'll be coming up in just a moment but first i wanted to uh, say that if you have heard your song on the show and you don't want your music to be played on the show, let me know, and I will remove it. Um, As I said earlier, I do actually own all of this stuff. It's not just downloaded um, and shoveled onto my computer. You can get in touch via uh, email at spookatorium at gmail.com. It's also on Twitter. The handle is at spookatorium. And then, of course, the website that will have all of the show notes is spookatorium.org. And now, without further delay, here is this week's feature author. Oren Gray has been chiseling away at the supernatural fiction tomb doors for a few years now. Whether to get in or get out is up for debate. He's not talking. Um, But his appearances in anthologies like Bound for Evil from Dead Letter Press, who also released his chapbook The Mysterious Flame, uh, the Hans Heinz Ewers tribute collection, Delicate Toxins from Sidereal Press, uh, Historical Lovecraft, and Candle in the Attic Window, both from Innsmouth Free Press, and most recently The Mothman Files from Woodland Press, Gray has emerged as a writer of significance to the resurgent weird tale. He's set to co-edit his first anthology for Innsmouth Free Press in 2012. The as-yet-untitled venture will focus on fungal monsters and is expected around this time next year. Gray's first collection, Never Bet the Devil and Other Warnings, is due for release in the first quarter of 2012 from Evil Eye Books. The collection features ten stories with cover art and interior illustrations from Bernie Gonzalez. Gray's proclivity towards monsters, comics, the cavernous antiquity of the Hammer Horror World, uh, Corman's Poe adaptations, and the classic tales of Lovecraft, Lieber, Hodgson, and James all combine in his work to create something that, in its strangeness, maintains a sense of fun. The cosmic curiosity that, while it may lead to dire conclusions, does not arrive there under a shroud of impenetrable doom. Um, And now, it's my absolute pleasure to present Oren Gray reading his vignette, The Big Dark House by the Sea. The Big Dark House by the Sea by Oren Gray. Muriel Linscombe was a fake mermaid in Cooper's traveling menagerie. She spent her nights sitting in a bathtub, topless, a rubber fish tail stuck over her legs with spirit gum and tape. For five hours a night, she sat there, her skin puckering from the water, waving at the people who passed by, people she couldn't see because of a sheet of plexiglass and the bright lights that dazzled her eyes. She didn't see Albert Winslow on the night he came to the show, but he saw her. 
No one knows what made him go, and no one knows how much he offered Mr. Cooper that night in his trailer, but everyone knows that the next morning, Albert Winslow owned Cooper's Traveling Menagerie, and it never traveled again. That was the last night Muriel ever spent in the bathtub in the rubber tail. Within a month, she was Muriel Winslow. The rest of the show was dismantled, the performers given their severance and sent on their way. No one in town was surprised to see Albert Winslow take a young, pretty wife, and those few who saw her didn't deny that Muriel was very pretty. Why she consented to the union was anyone's guess, but most guesses involved Albert's considerable fortune. Still, everyone agreed that the state of matrimony did him much more good than her. He was seen in town more often, and those who saw him said that he looked younger and in better health than he ever had in their memory. Perhaps once a week he was seen to stop into one of the local taverns and buy a round for everyone in the place. His old miserliness seemed to have departed, and his famous temper was reserved now for his intense, jealous possessiveness of his beautiful young wife. Any man who made the mistake of so much as mentioning her was sure to feel, at the very least, the full effect of Albert Winslow's withering gaze. As for Muriel herself, few people in town ever saw her. After the wedding, she moved into his big, dark house by the sea and seldom left again, though people walking along the beach sometimes claimed to see her standing with her hand pressed against the glass of the big window, staring longingly out across the water. I said that the years had taken their toll on her, that her once shining hair was now wispy and white, and her face looked prematurely drawn and old. Time passed, and Muriel was seen less and less, until after a while no one ever saw her again, and even Albert Winslow's newfound vivaciousness began to desert him. He was seen to walk first with a cane, and later it was reported that he was using a wheelchair to get around in his house. Finally, he stopped coming to town at all. The mail piled up on his porch, and eventually the sheriff went down and broke open the big dark house by the sea. He found Albert's body in his wheelchair, sitting in the parlor, facing out the big window toward the sea. Of Muriel there was no sign at all, but in the basement of the house they found a big glass tank full of seawater and a polished black coffin containing the carefully arranged bones of an enormous fish. Say, 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 say
Polish, 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 Polish,
That was Lurking in the Dark from King Diamond, a spookatorium and lifelong tradition of playing Merciful Fate in King Diamond uh, around the holidays. Before that was Trial with a track called Diabolic, and that is just about going to do it. I want to thank Oren Gray very much for participating in the show and sharing one of his tales. I didn't get a second sort of odd story record this month, so hopefully I can make up for that next month. Um, but until next time, you can get in touch at spookatorium at gmail.com or by leaving a comment on the site, which is spookatorium.org. And I will usher you into the night with uh, Rohan Theater Band and The Undertaker's Ball. If you like, I'll take you to The Undertaker's Ball.
Thanks. <laughs>